Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, my daughter met me at the 905 and said, Dad, you look like a pumpkin. <laughs> so I'm sorry if I offend anyone. Pumpkin latte, maybe? Pumpkin spice latte. Awesome. Hey, in light of Halloween, though, I do want to open with a uh, ghost story, a true ghost story. Uh, Come back with me to World War II. It's near the end of the war. This is a true story. And the Nazis are about to give up. They realize, oh my gosh. And they're looking and wondering, how are the Allied troops doing advancing towards us? So they send an aerial plane up uh, over France, and they look, uh, this is a real picture from a Nazi plane of an aerial photo of the Allied troops. And what they found were tons of tanks. They found uh, cannons all over the place. They heard the chatter of soldiers talking to each other. They heard the roar of engines, and they turned around and came back and reported out, there's no way, there's no way we can advance. We are... They wouldn't use the word hose, but they're like, we're hose. We can't do this. Um, The reality, though, was that if they would have seen in those tanks, every single one of those were a balloon, like a Macy's Day parade type balloon. For 50 years, the United States government, after the war, kept this classified. Uh, And what they kept classified was a battalion in the U.S. Army called the Ghost Army. Watch this. We were going to be in show business where we set up one night stands and like ghosts disappear. And the mission was to try to be able to take a thousand men and put them in so that 15,000 men could move somewhere else and not be detected. We were told we couldn't tell our wives or anybody about what we did. It was totally secret. It's amazing the fakery that we were able to perpetrate upon the enemy. It was a little bundle of stuff, all compressed before. You opened the bundle, spread the nozzles around, and inflated it. The artillery piece was good, but that M4 tank, that was the beauty. That was a piece of work. Back of my half-track, I tell my children, was the biggest boombox you ever saw. But it played sounds of tanks and activity. They had recordings of building a pontoon bridge or any type of bridge, and you could hear them hammering away and swearing. We'll stop right there. (laughs) The reality is what the Nazis reported is we are grossly outnumbered. Nothing could be further from the truth. They didn't even need a gun to defeat those people. They just needed a blow dart, right? So my concern here in telling you this ghost story is not uh, to just give you information about a ghost army. It's an amazing, uh, amazing story. My concern is this. I have a greater concern. It's for ghost churches. It's for ghost Christians. I have a concern for ghost marriages and ghost parent-child relationships. I have concern for uh, ghost Christians living on a block and uh, on the outside appearing one way, but on the inside, behind closed doors, 
something completely different or hollow going on. I haven't come to point a finger. I believe Jesus has brought us all here today to extend to him. Because I believe if you're in Christ and if you're in a relationship that matters to you and more importantly to heaven, none of us want a ghost existence or to have an experience that's grown hollow. As we come to this church, this church of Sardis, looking at these seven churches, this is the fifth of the seventh. Uh, This is the shortest letter to the church. Interestingly, this is a church that had it the easiest of any of the seven churches. As a matter of fact, it's the only church that they've dug up an actual church that existed in Sardis. They haven't, and the other churches existed, they just haven't dug it up. This church faced no persecution. This church faced no uh, cultural pressure. That was a great acrostic that Brian gave. You know, there was no temptation into heresy. There was no persecution, nothing. They had it easy. And this is the church with the hardest word from Jesus. What do you do when you're a pastor and you want to encourage everybody every Sunday and you come across passages like these that are a hard word? You speak them just like Jesus did. Because the hard words from Jesus are for our life, my friends. For our life. And it's almost like it's amazing studying this because the language that Jesus used, this is written in a different language, uh, it is very short and to the point. I'm going, gosh, Jesus, couldn't you have been nicer? And he was very nice, but he was just right to the point. And I, then I thought about it, you know, as a pastor, we come across and into and are invited, and these are holy things, death moments. And at death's door, you don't have time to speak a lot of words. At death's door, you don't talk about stupid stuff, trivial stuff. You get right to the point at death's door because you know you don't have a lot of words left. That's exactly the urgency that Jesus speaks this letter. And he speaks it to the city, a real city in Sardis. But more importantly, he speaks it to you and to me. So I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a few throughout the message. What is it in your life that feels like a ghost existence? On the outside, there's the appearance of something, but inside it's hollow. Let the Holy Spirit bring something to mind. It could be a relationship. It could be a character pursuit. You were, you were vigilant about growing in humility, or you were vigilant about uh, being morally courageous, or you were vigilant about an area of purity, or you were vigilant about joy. Uh, it could be a relationship, marriage, kids. Um, but what is it? That once you had an active pursuit and going, I am going to be everything God wants me to be in this area. But you've walked away from that. Think about that for a second. Hold it. Because we're going to talk about that throughout the whole message, okay? Okay. Look how the letter opens. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel in the church of Sardis, a real church that lived and existed in a real city at one point. Okay, so let me tell you what we've been doing in this message series is talking about the city. Because it's amazing how Jesus points to cultural things in their city. The way we're saying it around here, he speaks the dialect of their city. And how he points to that and applies it to their spiritual life. So let me just unpack some of this. People in Sardis, they were called sardines. Just kidding. Okay. Just making sure you're there. Okay. Sardis is a city. You can see very interior 
far from the coast. It's like Northern California. They even had a gold rush in Sardis. A river ran next to Sardis. Gold was discovered there. Sardis was the first city to mint coins. Can you go to the next slide? Look, well, first of all, look, go back one. Sorry. I'm, I'm messing with this woman. Thank you. Look how amazing and lush that area is. That could be Napa right there. They actually grew grapes in Sardis, uh, grew wine. Okay, look at the coins. Uh, they minted their, their coins, not all of them, but many of them in gold because gold came from the region. And on the coin, they stamped the city brand, which was a ferocious lion, a ferocious lion, because the Sardis people felt like they were invincible. Why did they feel that? Because in the middle of the city, you see it in the background, next slide, please, was a 1,500-foot mountain in the middle of the city, a cliff, actually. And whenever Sardis would go to war, can you go to one more slide? The, the city would climb up this mountain and enter, and they built a fortress on top of this mountain. And so when the conquering armies would come, there's no way they could take down the Sardis people because they had the leverage, they had the fort, they had everything. Until they didn't. A true story, 6th century B.C., uh, the Persians were coming to Sardis. All of Sardis, this is history, this isn't Bible, all of Sardis goes into the fortress, and then in the middle of the night during this standoff, before the armies usually gave up, a Sardis soldier loses his helmet over the fortress wall. And so he goes out a secret path, and there's an etching to show what it looked like. He goes down a secret path thinking no one's looking to retrieve his helmet. The Persian army sees this and the next night climb up the secret path, break into the fortress, only to find no soldiers were on guard. They were all asleep because they thought they were invincible. In the 6th century, the Persians took over Sardis. Four centuries later, it happened again. This city twice was taken over, uh, not by conquest, but by, if you could say it, a thief in the night coming in to the fortress. So he says, look what Jesus says to the church, Revelation 3, verse 1 to 2. To the angel of the church of Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God, the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You are a ghost church, he's saying. Wake up, he says. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Let's hit pause there. I just want to tell you one other thing. This really matters. Uh, we saw a picture of it before, but in Sardis was a huge temple to Artemis, a fertility goddess. Uh, can you go to that slide, the temple, with these columns? And this temple was famous for uh, being built, and before it was finished, they opened the temple. And then they never finished the temple. You can see a column there that uh, they discovered. See the grooves in it? That's how the column should have worked and it should have looked. And you can see in the back the columns that remain are unfinished columns. They never put the grooves and finished it. So this temple was known throughout the region as being this temple of grandeur but remaining unfinished. And Jesus in all his love is coming to the church in Sardis saying, you know that temple? That's a metaphor for your spiritual life. That's a metaphor for something that really mattered at one time to you and to me and to my heart. 
but at some point you just gave up on it or you became so used to it. How many of you have patched a wall or done some work around your house and then you weren't done and you got onto other chores and you never got back to it? Anyone? Don't look at each other at this point. Okay, yeah, right? We've all done that. Pretty soon you forget that that's normal. That's what happened with the temple of Artemis and Jesus is saying to the church, it might be normal in your city, but I love you too much to let that be our normal. Because I'm a finisher. Uh, I'm thinking of the verse. I, this is, wow. I haven't shared this in any of the other three services. Philippians 1, verse 6. That God who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Jesus is a finisher. And what he starts, he wants to finish. But he invites us in that process. He dignifies us through the process. And in times we abandon the process. And Jesus says, uh, okay, I want this done, but I'll wait till you're ready. Everybody can have your attention? I think today's our wake-up call. In whatever area that is flatlined. I think today's the day that Jesus taps you on the shoulder, not with a billy club, not to hurt you, not to kill your fun, but with all the love he has in truth and grace, and resurrection power, and kingdom authority. And he's gotten you here to say, I didn't create you to be a ghost Christian, or to have a ghost marriage, or to have ghost character. And what I started in you doesn't have a shelf life of 5, 10, 15 years. I don't have an expiration date. Because one day you'll die and enter into eternity, and that character will come to full fruition. Oh, church, have you given up hope that the power of Jesus can still transform your life? Have you given up hope that whatever relationship matters most to you because it matters most to heaven, that there's hope it can be revived? Have you given up hope that there's never, never an intimacy you can have with Jesus um, that uh, flatlines but God always wants more and more and more of you. If you have, today's your day. It's your lucky day. It's your gracious day. God brought you here for this letter to this church. So let's talk about what do you do when your faith or relationship or your character has flatlined. Turn to page two in your notes and let's keep reading Revelation. Let's, and, and actually these notes are written in a way that's as short and curt as the language Jesus used. I made it real simple. Because Jesus brings it real simple, right in your face, which I actually like that, in your face kind of stuff. Here's what he says. Three ways to resuscitate your faith. Here's what he says. Here's the first. Wake up. Turn to somebody right now and say, wake up. I love that. Someone took me seriously. I love that. Now look, on a day like today where we each got an extra hour of sleep, there's no excuse to fall asleep, okay? So look what he says here. First thing, wake up. In other words, you know what the word really means? Keep on being watchful. Keep on being vigilant. Isn't that why things die that matter to us? Because at some point we lower our guard. At some point we keep, uh, we lower the vigilance we once had around whatever matters to us. And Jesus says, hey, this is your wake-up call. Keep being vigilant. They flatlined in their relationship with the Lord the same way every relationship, 
every aspect of character, even our relationship with God flatlines. We fail at being watchful. It just dawned on me when we walked, when he walked the planet, Jesus, he always was calling people to wake up in the three years. Look on page two of your notes on the top. He says in Matthew 24, therefore keep watch. And then he says later, you must be ready. Then he says later, keep watch. You don't know the day or the hour. Then he says later, be watchful and prayerful. He's constantly, the God of the universe is walking amongst humans and he understands the human condition. And he says, here's how life's gonna work. Whatever you don't keep watch over that matters to heaven will die. So keep watch, wake up. Now let me ask you, think about this. What is the countenance of the face of Jesus as he's reading these words to you? in your mind. How do you see Jesus coming to you saying, wake up? Think about that for a minute. What's his face look like? What's his inflection like? How does his wake up call come to you? I was a youth pastor for 17 years and um, my last term of time being a youth pastor was here. I was hired to be the youth pastor here. And we did these things called um, videos we made called Rude Awakenings. We got um, permission from the parents. And we'd show up at a kid's house at like 4 in the morning. Uh, and we would scare the living daylights out of them. Uh, one Rude Awakenings video, uh, at the service I just came from, students who were in the ministry where I was a youth pastor are there. They're adults now. They're 30-somethings. And they're like going, oh, yeah, that was cool. Because none of them got the wake-up Rude Awakening. We showed up with a leaf blower one time in a kid's room. We turned it on and got it on video, shoved it under the covers, and, and this kid levitated, right? Uh, it was amazing. Our best, though, we showed up with like a 2,000 lumen handheld light, and we had a train on a boombox, the horns of a train, and we kept getting closer, and when we got louder, we're like, train, train, train! And it's like, scream, this kid just scream, okay? That's why I'm not a youth pastor anymore. Although I'd like to do that for adults. I, I, it'd just be fun one time. Not a wake up, but a dinner time. I'd like to show up with a video. Anyway, um, where was it? Oh, that is not how Jesus is saying wake up to you. Listen, everyone, and he has every right to. He's the God. He calls the shots. This whole thing is on his terms. And we've come to him many times, at least I have, like a stupid adolescent and said, no, no, I'm going to make this about me and my terms. I'm not going to do it your way anymore, but I don't want the consequences of doing it my way. Jesus has every right to say, wake up, but he's too loving to do that. So he comes in full love with full truth and he says, do I have your attention? You've dropped your guard. Wake this up. Or it's heading down a trajectory that will not be good for you or for the kingdom of God. And he doesn't say that to punish us. Many times we aren't punished for our sins. Everybody, I said this last week, we're punished by our sins. Many of us are experiencing what we're experiencing is the natural result of walking away from God. And the pain we feel, it's not God's fault. He's saying, you didn't wake up. You just walked away from me. That's why I warned you not to. Because when you walk into that, that's the consequence. So I want to ask one more time, what needs to be woken up? 
What is the area? The Spirit of God. This is where every life change starts. The Spirit of God is tapping you. And like a good parent in the morning is saying, time to wake up. You have no idea what I have planned for your day or for your life. You've been slumbering in that relationship. You've been slumbering in that area of character. Wake up. Wake up. Then what do you do? Look what's next. I put it this way. Work out. Work out. I had to put it this way because we own a fitness center as a church. Use your strength, okay? Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 2. Strengthen, by the word, way, it's the word we get uh, steroid from. Does anyone use steroids? No, don't, 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 don't answer. Um, it means to be resolved and to be determined. That's what it means. To be resolved and to be re- determined. And each one of us, in whatever has grown asleep and needs to be woken up, at some point we were resolved and determined. I just remember in, in my relationship with God, I came to Christ 36 years ago on Halloween. So I've been thinking about this a lot. I remember those first weeks and months. It's like I couldn't, I joined seven Bible studies on my campus. And I, I was like, dang, I got to go to school. And I had to close my Bible. And I had prayer nights, we'd spend the whole night praying. It was like, I, I can't believe I'm talking to the God of the universe. And he hears me. I can't believe I'm his child. I remember coming back to my fraternity meeting after I came to Christ. And it was about to be over. A hundred guys in the room. And I, I just went up to the front. I'm like, stop. Something happened to me this weekend, and i got to tell you about it because you all want this. I know you do, and just share the gospel because that's not because I had to. It's because I got to. Something happened. There was a resolve in me. My campus was no longer a place to get a degree. It was a place for the gospel to spread. There was a resolve there. But slowly over time, something dwindled away at that resolve. And Jesus is saying to me and maybe to you in whatever area that needs to be woken up, strengthen it. it it's, it's critical to life change. This isn't Bible. This is just logic. When you want to change something, don't focus on what's dead. Focus on what's barely alive and give life to that. You know where I learned that? Uh, from my daughter's favorite Halloween book, The Greatest Pumpkin Ever. Has anyone read this book? Awesome. I still read it, even though it's for a first grader. It's amazing. It's about two mice uh, that come across a pumpkin patch, and they're right on the border of their land. And one comes at night, one comes at day, and they both take care of the same pumpkin. And they both think they're the ones growing the greatest pumpkin ever. But they give life to where life is needed, and they water the pumpkin. And at some point, they cut the roots and put the pumpkin roots in sugar water and fertilize the pumpkin. Then a frost comes, and they both put towels around the pumpkin and blankets. And they both think they're growing the greatest pumpkin ever until one point, they both show up at the pumpkin at the same time. One wants to use it as a jack-o'-lantern. One wants to use it for the pumpkin fair. And they realize, oh my gosh, someone else is growing this pumpkin. I wasn't the only one. Friends, that's great theology. God gives you the dignity of saying, exert yourself. And he lets you think you're really making a difference, but the reality is we're going to get to heaven and realize he was working behind the scenes the whole time. Watching us put the effort forth, and then he gives us the strength in the effort. But he just wants to see that we're exerting too. It's why some of us uh, have been walking with Christ for 36 years, And our maturity is flatlined because we've quit putting the effort forth. Our relationship with Christ and looking like Jesus 
it's not just about God. It's about God and us working together. Here's where I get this from, Philippians chapter uh, 2. Look at this. It's in your notes, too. Therefore, my dear friends, that's Paul's way of saying, I'm writing this to Christians. If you identify as a Christian, this is your verse, okay? If you don't, check this out. This is how you grow to look like Christ. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, Paul's saying this, not God, but now much more in my absence, he's away from this city. Here's what he says. Look at this. This is going to be an open book test after we read this, so pay attention, okay? As you've always obeyed, not only in my absence, uh, but now, I'm sorry, not only in my presence, now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, same word, used twice, to work in the will in order to fulfill his good purpose. Here's the open book test. Who's responsible in the Christian life for the work? God? People and God. Yeah. God takes the initiative. You see it right there. It's God who works in you to will and to work according to fulfill his good purpose. But somehow, and this is mystery, my friends, I can't tell you how this works, but God asks us to join him in doing the work. Work out your salvation. When Jojo, our fifth daughter, uh, first came to us, she came to us at age four, um, about a year into that, we started doing puzzles together, and she didn't have a clue with puzzles. And so I would come, and I'd say, well, what about this one here? Oh, okay. What about this one here? And put these, like, 50-piece puzzles together, and we'd be done, and Jojo would go, like, I did it! <laughs> and I wouldn't kill it. I'd go, yes, you did, Joe. I can't imagine how many times I come to God and go, wow, Lord, I've really grown in this area. I did it. And God just smiles and goes, we did, didn't we? We both work. So when you see an area that's flatlined where you're a ghost Christian, an area of your character, an area of a relationship, strengthen it. What do I mean? You offer to Jesus first. He's an amazing savior. He just has this way of saving whatever we offer to him to save. So it starts by having a moment of truth and saying, Jesus, this area of my character could be, you pick your character. For me, it's courage in this season. Okay, I have a lot of fear in this season, some anxiety even. And so I'm saying, God, I want you to save that in me. You didn't, you didn't die on a cross so I'd be a coward spiritually. And then I have to work at it. What does that mean? Where's the area of life? I have on my uh, iTunes right now a playlist on songs about courage and being an overcomer and I just play them over and over again. Hillsong has this great song called Not Today and it's got this line in it in the middle of the night just last night I was reciting this uh, fear must have thought I was faithless when it came from my heart let the devil know not today fear you don't belong in me today and, and I just that's how I breathe life into it. I memorize scripture and just recite recite over and over that's working it out that's strengthening my courage muscle. This is true in any aspect of relationship, character, what have you. You start by a wake-up call. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And then you work it out with God. He does the heavy lifting, but he asks you to do some lifting too. You're here. You're here in church, right? You're, you're, that's a workout spiritually. Serving is a workout. Being in fellowship is a workout. Reading your Bible is a workout. Prayer is a workout. 
And then, look what it says, last thing. Last thing and we'll be done. He says, walk back. Walk back. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard and hold it fast. Literally, never stop holding it. Never stop holding it. And repent. In other words, change. Change something. Now, here's what I want to ask you. We've got a couple minutes. We're going to land this plane. What is it that we've received and heard? What is it that every church initially has received and heard? It's something called the gospel. The gospel. You don't earn the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus loves you, that there's new life available to everybody in Jesus' name. Anybody can come to Christ, regardless of your life. You're welcome as a, as a child of God, but you've got to come on his terms. And he gives you a relationship that you can never earn on your own. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And Jesus says, wake up. Jesus says, work out. And then if you ever lose your way, meet Jesus walking back right there at the gospel. Right there at the good news. Make the good news good to you again. Uh, in Revelation chapter 1, Brian actually shared this verse uh, in a meeting and I couldn't get over it. Look at, the, here's the gospel right here. To Jesus, here it is, who loves us. That's the good news, just start there. No one will love you like Jesus does, no one. I don't care what and how great of a relationship you have on earth, they're all conditional. Only Jesus has this unconditional loving relationship that says I love you too much I'm sorry, I love you just as you are, but too much to keep you that way. This is a love relationship. To him who loves us, and look at this, not only does he love you, his love is powerful. It frees us. So that I can have hope of being a courageous, morally courageous individual again. Or I can have hope of being a good, loving husband and a good, loving father and a, and a good, loving kingdom citizen out in Redwood City. Because I'm free in Christ. That's what his love does. Not only has he freed us, he's made us now. Here's a new identity. He's given us your royalty to be a kingdom in priests. What is a priest? A priest just builds a bridge between God and people. That's why you have life if you're in Christ. You're a bridge builder between God and people. Now you have a whole new identity on your block, in your neighborhood, at your place of employment. You are there as royalty to be a bridge builder to serve our God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. That's the gospel. And it's still good news. When's the last time, I asked this last week and then we'll close. When's the last time you shared the gospel with yourself? Oh, come on, Gary, I came to Christ years ago. I know, so did I. And this never gets old. I have to continually remind myself of the good news and walk back and live in it. So we'll close with the question I opened with. What is it that's a ghost existence in your life? What is it that has a shell of life like the Sardis church on the outside, but on the inside it's pretty hollow? Today's your wake-up call. Jesus wants to meet you right there and with all the love in him, say, say, wake up. Let's strengthen this. 
and let's live out of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us enough not to let us slumber in life. You didn't create your children to slumber. You know how hard it is. You know where we are. You know that area of pain that's grown dormant, that we need the wake-up call. Today, God, we're offering to you our ashes and asking that you create beauty from them. Everybody, on page three of your notes, I put a prayer called the Sardis Prayer. And this could be a daily prayer for you in that area. Like for me and my courage, I can just put the word, uh, my fear is, or my courage is hollow. But I'm concerned today for anyone in here, you don't know where you stand with Jesus. You don't know if you're a child of God. And if you were to die, you didn't know if you'd have a relationship with God. And you want the new life that we've been talking about. So I want to make this prayer for those of you who feel that and you can just put yourself, insert that in the blank. I'm gonna pray it. The words aren't magical, but when you make these words and you come to God, what he promises is to answer this prayer. I can 100% tell you he will answer this prayer. So make my prayer yours. Jesus, my life is hollow. I confess it's not how you designed me to function. I'm so sorry. Today, I need a rescuer. I'm living a ghost existence with my life. Step in and take these ashes. Rescue me. Bring your life to me. I'm inviting you to call the shots. Be my Lord. I don't want to keep running my life my way. I've just made a train wreck of it. You lead, I'll follow. May my one and only life function in a way that brings you great glory and is good for this peninsula, for this world. From today on, I'm yours. Lord, we love you and thank you for your loving, prodding, waking, calling us to to new things, for your never-ending love. Guide us, Lord, as we move from here, we pray in Christ's name. Everyone said? Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.